Uh, got a little something for uh, Pastor Jack. Uh, maybe make sure somebody gets that to him. Uh, it's uh, one of our pastors goes ahead and carves, and uh, so we brought one for him. Uh, it's always exciting, exciting to be at Calvary Bible Church. Calvary Bible has been a, uh, a great sending church for Tony and I. It was about 50 years ago that uh, Tony was over in the main auditorium, no longer here, uh, but uh, walked down the aisle when she was about four years old, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Uh, grew up through the junior high, high school, went to Hume Lake every summer. Uh, still recalls fond memories of Hume Lake. Uh, we went ahead and uh, met at a uh, Bible church and and uh, started dating. I was a missionary kid, came home uh, back from Africa where my father had started the Lighthouse for Christ uh, as an eye doctor and uh, met and got married. Uh, we went ahead and uh, went, o- went on to uh, seminary. And uh, in that first year after we got married, uh, Tony became pregnant, was going to have our son Jason, and uh, began to have uh, toxemia. Uh, if you've uh, had a child and gone to the obstetrician, they always hand you that little cup and say, fill it. And uh, they're looking and making sure you don't have toxemia. Basically, the baby uh, goes ahead and poisons the mother. Often happens in younger women of pregnancy. And uh, so she uh, uh, becomes a race as to uh, who's going to win. Uh, is the baby going to poison the mother and kill the mother? Or is the... Uh, uh, baby going to be uh, stay there long enough so that uh, the baby can develop. Uh, Jason was uh, finally 10 weeks early. Uh, they decided his lungs were developed uh, immediately, induced labor. Jason was born at three pounds, uh, put in the intensive care nursery back in 32 years ago. They didn't save him much younger than that, maybe just a little. Uh, and we thought we were out of the woods doing just fine because most of the danger once the baby's gone. Unfortunately, two days later, I came into her hospital room to find she'd had a massive stroke. Uh, so we uh, uh, packed up our bags. We'd been back in Pennsylvania, came back uh, and uh, started going to Talbot. Uh, there was an extension out at Grace Community Church and uh, before Master's College was had begun and we... Uh, I started finishing my education there while Tony and our son Jason were both in the hospital. Jason was about nine months in Children's of L.A. Uh, with all sorts of troubles, complications to be uh, for him. Uh, Tony was about six months over at Rancho Las Amigas Hospital, recovery hospital, adding all sorts of surgeries. Uh, while I was at uh, the school, I noticed on the bulletin board there was a little note saying, that uh, Calvary Bible Church was looking for a college pastor. And uh, so I applied, and probably because of Tony, uh, got accepted. And uh, during the next four years, we were an assistant pastor here, uh, going ahead and uh, uh, ministering with college, helping with the 55-plus, and uh, and, uh, in many ways, you as a church were ministering to us far more than we did uh, many of the ladies coming to help Tony as she took care of our son Jason and uh, as we uh, progressed to the point where we could become missionaries 
and go over to Mombasa, Kenya. 26 years ago, we left uh, Calvary Bible Church, and Calvary Bible Church has always stood behind us, supporting us, uh, and uh, we went over to Mombasa, Kenya. My father uh, had had a cancer, uh, and uh, um, he... Um, uh, um, passed away in about a four-month period of time, and uh, we decided to go out and keep the work going. We had felt we were called to go there, thinking it was still a few more years ahead, but got out there, and uh, we began the work. There were five small churches, an eye clinic, and I wasn't an eye doctor. I'm still not an eye doctor, and you don't want me to do surgery on your eyes. And... Uh, but we found a, uh, a doctor from Glendora, California. He came out and kept the work going till about the year 2000. Since then, we've had uh, Kenyan medical directors and doctors keeping the work going with American volunteers coming over oftentimes uh, every two weeks. And uh, through this, we have been able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Muslims. Uh, Mombasa is a predominantly a Muslim uh, city. Uh, the uh, trade winds from Saudi Arabia down along the east side of Africa are uh, basically the monsoon, which means changing winds. They go six months south, six months north, and the trade traders would come down and selling their spices and buying slaves and, and also promoting Islam, uh, the uh, Muslim religion. And so uh, Mombasa became uh, a major Muslim port, uh, clear back around uh, a thousand years after Christ. And uh, so uh, we went there to try and be able to share with these unreached people how they could come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We uh, would go ahead and share through our clinic. We now have somewhere around, we see about 35,000 patients a year, so somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 3,000 patients a month are going through, being seen, and every one of them are told the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm especially uh, a church planter, especially a uh, pastoral mentor. We had about five small churches when I first arrived, and that's developed into about 50 churches today. Uh, we go ahead and plant. We're planting somewhere between three to five churches every year uh, in new locations. Um, and... Uh, that's my joy. That's what I do. Tony's a great evangelist. Uh, she can, she's never met a stranger. Uh, she always uh, talks to everybody around her, telling people about Jesus Christ. And uh, we've uh, been enjoying, for now 26 years, being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the port city of Mombasa. It's an, it's an island. It's in the tropics. Uh, this is what I usually wear when I'm over there. Hardly ever wear a suit or tie except when I'm marrying or burying. And uh, it's just too hot to wear something around your neck. Well, uh, as I was thinking about what to talk about today, I uh, thought we'd take a look at John chapter 9. Probably one of the most profound passages of Scripture for me, my family, and my life. Uh, it's a passage about a man born blind. My dad was an eye doctor. Love this passage because it was an impossible case. Even to this day, if a person is born blind in the first year or two, a child learns to see. All the nerve endings and all that begin to work as that child first opens their eye after they're born and they learn to see. Uh, if a child never sees, if a child is completely blind, 
then after about the age of two, you can fix that eye and make it perfect, and that child will still be permanently blind because all those nerve endings never connected, and that child is blind. So here was a person, an impossible case, a man born blind. And Jesus used this particular way of healing this man born blind so that he came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. And through this passage also, it was that my father first decided to become a missionary. Well, let's take a look. John chapter 9, verse 1. And he went along. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must work the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told the man, wash in the pool of Siloam. This meant sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. From there, his neighbors began to talk to him. Is this really the man? And uh, he got in trouble with the Pharisees because he began to defend Jesus. He, all he knew, didn't know anything about Jesus. He just knew, once I was blind, and now I see. Then over to verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Wonderful story of the salvation of this man. As Jesus was walking along, as he so often did, he would carry, he would bring along all of his disciples, and his disciples were walking along, and they were learning what it meant to be a follower of Christ. They were learning what was the purpose of why Jesus came into the world. And Jesus, one of his purposes was that he was the sent one of God, he was Emmanuel, God with us. He came into this world to save sinners. And here Jesus was, God himself, up in heaven, and he became the first missionary. Basically, you know, he was on easy street, streets made of gold, you know, great big place, everything beautiful. We're all looking forward to getting there one day, but just not today. And uh, we're here he uh, was up in heaven, and decided to come down to be born of a virgin in a poor stable, a very, very poor family, to live a terrible life. And however good our life is, it's nothing like it was supposed to have been before sin. Sin has broken this world. Sin has brought in diseases and troubles and death and all the problems we have. Some people say, why does God allow all this to happen? And Well, the answer is, of course, 
all of this has happened because we're estranged from God. Because we don't have a relationship with God. That's why there are all the problems. And God isn't going to take away all these problems because this world, what we have today, is not heaven. It's not supposed to be heaven. It's supposed to be a broken place where we are told how we can get to heaven, how we are told about a Savior, a God who loves us. And so here they are walking along with the first missionary, Jesus Christ, come down into the world to live and die for us. And they're being taught to be disciples, that which every one of us are to be. Jesus didn't call you to be a good church member. Didn't, Jesus didn't call you to be a good Christian. In fact, being a good Christian, that's sort of opposites. There is no such thing as a good Christian. We're all sinners, saved by faith. We are all people who need a Savior. And as we come to Jesus, He begins to help us by sending His Holy Spirit to live within us, to give us the power to be changed, to become disciples of His. And as we are a disciple of His, He begins to show us through this passage what it means to begin to be a witness and how we can influence others to come to know Jesus Christ. Well, they're walking along. His disciples are there with them. They're trying to figure out how to be disciples. Jesus is starting to show them. And they see this man. Man in all sorts of trouble. I mean, he's about 40 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. He's been blind all his life. He's a beggar. Over in Mombasa, Kenya, we have beggars all over. It's a Muslim town, and one of the tenets of being a Muslim is to give alms to the poor, and so we've got lots of beggars because part of being a Muslim is to give away some money. And so uh, no way to have a livelihood, just to be pitied, rejected, and they look at him and they, the disciples look at this guy and they, he's an object lesson for them to find out about today. Who sent, why is he in this trouble? You know, who's at fault? Somebody's got to be to blame. You know, was it him who sinned? Was it its parents who sinned? Why is he in this terrible problem? And Jesus' reply was, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. This guy was not just an object to be pitied. This was a human being for which God came into the world to save. And instead of looking at our neighbors and friends, lots of times we look at our neighbors and friends and we say, well, maybe I could invite this guy to church and well, this guy wouldn't have anything to do with it and he wouldn't be interested. He would laugh about it and we categorize people. But you know, the funny thing about Jesus is he doesn't categorize people and in fact, most often, he looks for the absolute worst possible case to save I mean, he saved me and he saved you. He went ahead and saved. There was a man named Saul in Acts, the destroyer of the church, the Osama bin Laden of his day. 
he was a terrorist. He, I mean, he, he went ahead and he gathered a gang around and they stoned Stephen. He went ahead and got letters so he could go around all the prisons and gather up Christians, families, men, women, children, and throw them into jail till they would get, till they would recant, till they would say, I'm not a part of that way. And then all of a sudden, Saul of Tarsus met Jesus, walking down the road, bright light, suddenly blind. And God, just in a vision, went and uh, went to Ananias, this one strong Christian, good guy. And he went up to him, and in the vision, he went ahead and said to Ananias, uh, I've got a person I want you to go witness to. Go tell the gospel. Go tell him. And uh, yeah, Ananias, happy to do that. He's a disciple of the Lord. And he says, the person is Saul of Tarsus. And all of a sudden, Ananias starts backtracking. He says, uh, you don't know who you're talking about. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's the destroyer of the church. He's a killer. He's a, he's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad man. And uh, Jesus' reply to Ananias was, no, he's a chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles. Chosen instrument. Do you know you're a chosen instrument of God? If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a chosen instrument to go to a group of people that you know and have influence over. You are a chosen instrument. That's one of the reasons God saved you. Is so that you would become a disciple of Christ and you would begin to, as it says here, why did this person, was he born blind? This happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You were saved. I was saved so that the work of God would be displayed in my life, which means I'm supposed to be a book to be read. When people see me, I am supposed to influence others to say, wow, if God could save him, he could save anybody. If God could change this person, maybe he could change me. Because you see, your neighbors and friends, the good people and the bad people, your worst enemy, if he could just meet Jesus if he could just accept Jesus Christ as a Savior, if he would just let the Holy Spirit take control of his life, he could be your best friend. Because Paul, Ananias went to Paul, and he told him about the gospel, and Paul accepted Jesus and became the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He went all through the known world of that day, preaching and teaching the gospel, starting churches, We need to stop looking at people just as objects. We need to begin to take a look at people and say, here is another human being in need of a Savior. When Jesus was on the cross and he'd just been beaten so badly you couldn't hardly see him as a human being and he had been put on the cross and he was dying, one of his last words were, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When people abuse you, when people steal from you, when people do bad things to you, 
Jesus is calling us to forgive them because they don't know the Lord. Because if they knew the Lord, they would be transformed and they could be changed. We're not looking at we're so good people and I've got it all together and I know all the answers and now I'm going to go tell you. Because if I had to wait to know all the answers, I'd never open my mouth and I'd never tell anybody. But you see, in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, the last words of Jesus, the last statement He made in this world, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll receive power, power. When you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came upon you. The Holy Spirit indwelt you. You got the greatest power on earth and I've got him. And he said, and the reason that you're receiving this power, one of the reasons, is that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That we would have influence, that we would share. What is a witness? Of course, a witness is You know, you're walking down Brand Boulevard, Magnolia, somewhere, and two cars come together and somebody's drunk and bam, they strike and you're standing there looking at the whole thing and a police officer comes up to you and says, did you see what happened? You says, yeah, I saw, you know, this is what happened. And can you be a witness? Well, I guess so. And they take you to court and you're in the court and you put your hand on, I hope you put your hand on the Bible still. And uh, you say, I you know, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And then you say, and this is what I saw happen, and this is what I experienced, and this is what I I heard. This is what happened. That's what a witness does. He doesn't have to have a PhD. He just tells what he saw. And Jesus Christ, as he fills us with power, and as we become his disciples, and as we begin to look at people not as objects, but as people who need a Savior. People who need to be transformed. The world wants to say, you know, well, if somebody does something wrong, then you can hold it against them. And, and you want them to, we want to have justice, and they should be, you know, the thing is, is that we always want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else. And Jesus wants to give mercy. And he wants to start with us. And he wants us to forgive. And he wants us to begin to tell people about God. And one of the best ways to tell people about God is when they're in trouble. Here was a man born blind. He was in desperate trouble. He could do nothing for himself. He had to be led by the hand probably to the corner where he stood every day. Everybody knew who he was and he was helpless. And he was in trouble. And Jesus looked and found the guy in trouble and walked over to him and said, the reason this has happened in his life is so that the glory of God will be able to be seen and he spit on the ground. I wouldn't suggest any ophthalmologist try this method. Rubbed the dirt in the guy's eye, said, go wash in the pool of Siloam and God did a miracle and he went away seeing. And he didn't know anything except... Jesus healed me. Some guy by the name of Jesus healed me. That's all he knew. 
he started getting in a lot of trouble because people wanted to say, well, Justin, this guy must be a sinner. He said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know, once I was blind and now I've seen. And you know, lots of times as we begin to look at people not as objects, not just for my comfort, the purpose of my life is to live my life, to have children, to live, to breathe, to die. That's not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is now Jesus. The purpose of your life is now to fit into His plan. The purpose of your life is now to be a witness. And as you begin to open up your eyes, you begin to see that God has divine appointments for you. As we begin to say, Lord, I'm willing to share. I'm not may, I, not, I may not be very good at it, I'll, but I'm willing to try. God is going to amaze you by beginning to use you, by giving you divine appointments. We're walking along the road. Tony's an evangelist. She loves to tell people about the Lord. I am not an evangelist. I don't. I confess it's wrong. But we're walking along. We might be on a date. She begins, she turns around, starts talking to the person in the booth next door, you know, the restaurant, and tell them about the Lord. And, and um, she's a natural person. She's never met a stranger. She loves to talk to people about Jesus. And I have to, I have to work at it. Okay, I have to pray to the Lord, Lord, use me today, because if I don't purpose to talk about the Lord, I'll go to my office, I'll go talk with my saved pastor friends, I'll go ahead and work and do all the things that I'm supposed to do, and I'll end up the day and say, how much emphasis, how much change did I have on anybody Well, maybe I influenced others, but I need to be doing it too. I need to be praying it. As I pray, Lord, use me somehow. All of a sudden, I meet somebody. I say some few words. God begins to use it. We have this, we work with Muslims. Muslims, uh, they're more difficult than the average to tell about the Lord. Um, We... Are 70% of the people in Mombasa are Muslim. And so how do you get a Muslim to hear about Jesus? How do you preach the gospel to them? How do they hear that Jesus is the way? How do they, how would they want to decide to change? Well, it happens the same for everybody. They have to begin to hear about it slowly by slowly, and they hear about it again and again and again, and it begins to make sense. And after a while, as it begins to make sense, finally it dawns on and the Spirit of God comes upon them and they can accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, the purpose of our clinic, we go ahead and three times we, we try and put in three seeds in every person that walks through. Uh, when they first walk through, when they first come to the clinic, one of the first things we do, sit everybody down and we give somebody to give their personal testimony. A personal testimony is once I was lost... This is how I accepted Jesus. Now my life is better. That's the basic structure of a personal testimony. Every one of us need to have our personal testimony ready for the next time we meet somebody at the bus or if we don't ever use a bus, the next time we meet somebody, see somebody, have your personal testimony ready because your personal testimony is the most powerful witnessing tool you will ever get. Personal testimony is once I was lost. Now maybe you say, well, I was like Tony, four years old when she wa- waddled down the, the uh, 
Main Street Auditorium and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. But there was a day where she had to decide and say, I'm not saved. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. And there was something that she needed to know and understand that Jesus is God and that He came and into this world to save sinners and He died on the cross and shed His blood and we need to receive that so that we can be saved and now my life is different. You know, I look at my family. My dad became a, an eye doctor. He worked on, Brand, uh, on Central Boulevard over in Glendale, uh, near the Sears building. He had his office. His grandfather, my grandfather, had that same office before him. And um, he was a very successful eye doctor. He was a uh, associate professor at USC. He, he uh, went ahead and put some money away in retirement for a retirement and then went ahead and bought the big house up on the hill and had some big houses. And, and during this time, while he was a young person, he'd sort of fallen away from the Lord and uh, I remember my, my older brother and I, we couldn't read hardly at all. We went to the public school. Uh, some kids <laughs> learned to read there and some don't. I was one of those on the don't side. And uh, so uh, when I was in about uh, second grade, uh, my parents sent me to a little Christian school because it was a parochial school because it, they taught people how to read. And um, there, Mrs. Schuyler, I can still remember, uh, to a seven-year-old. She was a very big woman. And uh, she told us the gospel. She told us about Jesus. And as she told us about Jesus, it was the first time as I could recall ever hearing it. I'm sure I heard it somewhere along the way. And he said, have any of you have not received Jesus? And I raised my hand. I accepted Jesus as my Savior that day. And I went home and I began to tell my parents, we ought to be going to a Bible church. We ought to be reading about the Bible. And so finally my parents started going and they dedicated their lives to the Lord and they began to walk for the Lord and grow up in the church. He began, as he got closer to the Lord, he began to get a passion for missions. And he would fly down to Mexico and do some eye work down there. And finally went over to Africa and did some eye work there. And finally... A pastor preached on John 9, 4. Jesus said here, As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. That morning he felt very uncomfortable. That morning he hardly could eat his lunch. And uh, had a nap and kind of got over it. Went back to church that night. Six o'clock, back to church had a missionary speaker. And that missionary speaker didn't know what had been preached on that morning, so he opened up to John 9.4. And uh, it challenged him. It challenged my dad to examine his life and to sort of say, where are my goals and how are my goals in line with God's goals for my life? Have you ever thought about that? You know, sometimes we think that the purpose of life is to eat and drink and die breathe air, uh, you know, consume, you know, the old saying, you know, the one with the most toys wins at the end of his life. And sometimes we get involved in thinking that this is all there is. And God, he came into this world. He was the first missionary. He came to save people. And so my dad began to look at his life and he said, well, you know, and I'm an eye doctor and uh, in my life I'm going to be able to see so many thousands of patients. I'm going to be able to do so many thousands of cataract surgeries and give so many 
years of life, and that's pretty good. And then he thought, but you know, if uh, frankly speaking, if I were to die today, of course that was back in 1963 or so, he said, I probably wouldn't be missed much because there were already ten other eye doctors in Glendale, and if, you know, if he kicked the bucket, they'd just go to another doctor and nobody'd be hurt. So he thought, well, but you know, if I went to the third world, and if I did, if I used the ophthalmology, probably most of those patients wouldn't have been helped, and that would even be more years. But then he began to think, but you know, if I could incorporate my passions and my gifts and use it so that I could lead one person to the Lord, how many years of spiritual sight would that give? Eternity. All of a sudden, values began to shift in our family. He went to a little Bible college and took a course on how to witness and began to figure out how he could have a reason for the beliefs that he had. He began to have a life goal that he would begin to change the world for Christ and it wasn't very much longer that he decided to become a missionary. He announced to our family when I was about 11 years old, we're going to go to Africa. And some of you might think that would be the worst announcement in your family. We were three small sons. I was 12, my older brother was 14, and my younger brother was about 8, and had a little infant daughter, sister. And we cheered, and we just thought this was going to be the greatest thing. We went over to Africa, and it was the greatest childhood a man has, a child has ever had. I mean, I was out hunting wildebeest and zebra. My dad had a policy, never hunt anything that hunts you. And uh, so, no lion, no elephant, no rhino, none of that stuff. Uh, nowadays in Kenya, we don't hunt anyway. They've decided that that isn't such a good idea. And uh, so we take pictures of all the animals now. But that's Okay. It was exciting growing up in Africa. And through it, we began, I began to have an example in my family of a man who would give up things so that Jesus Christ would be glorified. And I began to want to be just like my dad. I began to want to be just like Jesus because my dad wanted to be just like Jesus. And fathers, the best possible thing you can do to make sure your children grow up and live a godly life is that you yourself put Jesus first in your life. That's the best possible way to be the example you want to be. Well, he became that example. And so if we want to change the world, we've got to change our view of people. If we want to change the world, we have to change our view of ourselves. Part of the purpose God has for us is that we will be a disciple, that we will be a witness I have people who apply to our mission and say, I'd like to be a missionary. One of the first questions I ask them is, uh, well, what are you doing now? Lots of people think, well, you know, when I become a missionary, then I'll be a witness. And when I, go, when I become a pastor, when I become this, when I do this, someday in the future, and Jesus is saying, start now. Start being a witness now. But then, 
If we want to change the world for Christ, we have to get people's attention. We have to get people's attention. In Mombasa, how do you get Muslims' attention? Well, you've got to serve them. You've got to love them. You've got to be able to begin to show them something very, very different. So that's why we started this eye clinic. That's why my dad started the eye clinic, is so that he could be able to give some quality of care that was not found there. And so whether they were Muslims or Hindus or whether they were people of the occult, whatever they were, they wanted to come to the lighthouse if they had an eye problem because we gave the best care. And we gave the best surgery. And we went ahead and so after my dad passed away, we got another American eye doctor. He came and he worked there till the year 2000. We trained up some other Kenyans. We now have Kenyan ophthalmologists who are doing the same American quality care and they come and then uh, every time they come they hear the gospel at least three times many times more sometimes and they put up with it and we have I mean I've had mosque leaders come up to me and said you know Tim uh, you, you don't have to tell us about Jesus every single time we come and uh, because you know an eye doctor you, you go see him every year you know you need your annual checkup and you go ahead and check your glasses and make sure they're and so we you know three times this year and three times next year and three times the following and one of these days it's going to sink in and one of these days it's going to me- begin to make sense you know that needs to be our view of the gospel that Sometimes people think, well, I'm a lousy witness. Uh, I had a friend of mine, he says, I'm a lousy witness. I said, why do you think you're such a lousy witness? He says, well, I took this little track and I went over and I handed it to this guy and I told him a little about Jesus and he didn't accept Jesus. Witnessing is not nailing the guy and making sure he accepts Jesus that day. Witnessing is sharing Jesus and why he is exciting and real to you and then leaving the results to God. It's God's job to save people. It's not my job. It wasn't a failure, and it wasn't a success whether they accepted Jesus or not. Usually what I find is if they accepted Jesus, and you really get down and ask them, where have you heard about Jesus? They'll be able to tell you 15, 20, 40, 50 different people who have talked to them about Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a group effort. It's a team effort. But we've got to be part of the team to go ahead and be willing and then leave the results to God. But we've got to find ways to tell people. And so I encourage you, figure out ways to tell people about Jesus in your neighborhood, in your people of influence. When there's something exciting happening in church, talk about it there is grown up an unspoken taboo. And the idea is, the rationale is, that uh, religion is private. There's nothing private about religion. It's a very, very strange idea that's only here in the United States. We go over into Mombasa, we talk to Muslims, and they absolutely do not agree with much of what I say, which is why I don't argue with them. I tell them my testimony. I tell them why Jesus is alive and real in my life. I tell them the great things about Christ, that He wants to have a relationship with me, that He loves me. I tell them that I can know that I'm going to heaven. These are things Muslims 
do not ever know. They do not believe that God loves them. They do not believe that anybody can know for sure if they're going to go to heaven, unless, of course, they die in jihad. Um, That's sort of the guarantee. But, of course, the problem is, is that depending on the preacher, depending on the mosque leader, this is the right way, this is the right way if you die doing it. So we've got to begin to come up with this is why I am excited about Jesus and he has something for you. All the problems of life, they don't necessarily go away, but Jesus carries the burdens if we will go to him. He is the answers to life. He isn't just a crutch. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, begin to watch your neighbors and friends and the people that you work with and the people you go to school with and as they begin to have problems that's the time that their door is going to crack open you know when everything is going well most people are uninterested about God unfortunately that includes us sometimes but as we're having troubles as things are going wrong and so when your workmate is having a problem with their marriage That's the time to be the listening ear, the caring individual. Maybe not with all the Christian advice, but showing them love so that you begin to build up a chance to be able to say something about Jesus. As somebody gets sick, you take them a bowl of soup or a piece of pie or something. Begin to figure out, begin to plan your life and say, this is part of why I'm here to change people. And I'm going to try and begin to notice people and I'm going to try and ask God to make divine appointments and I'm going to ask God, help me that I can influence people for Christ. Our object at the lighthouse when they go through the eye clinic is not that every one of them are going to get saved. We know that's not going to happen. But it's our hope that we will move every one of those patients a little closer to Jesus. That's our object. If we can move every one of them a little closer to Jesus, a little more favorable to hearing the gospel, a little more open, maybe the first time they hear something about Jesus, then the next time it'll happen, and another time, and another time, and somebody else will speak to them, and God will use it, and perhaps will save many. Well, here's this man born blind. As long as it is day, we must... Do the work of him who sent me. It's urgent. The night is coming when no man can work. My dad got a cancer, died at 55. I'm now 55. I kind of, you know, you think, wow, I'm older than my dad ever lived. God has night coming for every one of us. Are we using our time just for ourselves? Or are we using our time for Christ? We need to also understand, though, here this man, his eyes were healed, and as soon as his eyes got healed by Jesus, as soon as people started paying attention to Jesus, as soon as people started thinking about Jesus, there was opposition. The Pharisees came in, began to say, well, he might have healed you, but uh, he's just a sinner. Uh, don't 
talk about him being God. Don't talk about him being the only way. And he wouldn't back down. He says, I don't know who he was, but God doesn't usually listen to sinners. And he listened to him. He must be something special. And opposition arose. Pharisees kicked him out of the synagogue. When we open our mouths for Christ, expect we are in a spiritual war. There are times over in Kenya where Muslims accept the Lord and sometimes some of those Muslims, they lose their jobs. And sometimes they spouses leave them. Children are taken away. Oftentimes, especially after they're baptized, they will have a funeral. And we keep telling them, just keep loving. Just keep loving. Keep loving your family. Over there in Kenya, there's 70% unemployment. And with 70%, that's seven people on the street. Every 10 people, seven of them are looking for a job. And uh, so one of the best things you can do is try and help one of these guy, people to get a job. And, we t- and generally, for every person who has a job, culturally, they always send money home. And uh, in fact, generally, on average, they say for the normal Kenyan who has a job is supporting 18 other adults. Not making much money, but he's supporting a lot of people. And so we encourage them. Culturally, it's the right thing to do. Well, when you get a job, go ahead and send some money home. And they say, well, they had a funeral for me. They say, I'm no longer his son. And I say, well, let's just send some money home anyway. Well, you, it's an amazing thing is they always seem to like to receive money from the dead. Uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're receiving money. And well, if they receive money, they've got to talk to them because they've got to tell them their needs so that they'll keep sending money. And so uh, they, we encourage them as they get saved, get a job, send money home. Pretty soon they're allowed on the back porch. Pretty soon they're allowed in the kitchen. Pretty soon they're back in the family. And oftentimes whole families are coming to know the Lord as we love, as the power of the Holy Spirit is in our life. But we've got to understand when somebody laughs, when somebody criticizes, when somebody says, wow, you must be a Jesus freak or something, talking about Jesus all the time, that's okay. Satan's trying to shut you up. That's okay. That must mean you're doing something right. We need to keep telling the gospel again and again because at the end of the day, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him, I love that, Jesus found him. We think... We did something great. We accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Jesus found me. And He let me know about Him. And He died for me. And He allowed other Christians around me to tell me about Jesus. And then I... Finally it made sense and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Do you, know, do you believe in the Son of Man? The meaning of Son of Man here is the Messiah. Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe that God is going to send His chosen person down to save you, to die for you? Who is He, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I might believe in Him. He was ready. So many of the people around you, you don't know, but they're ready. They've been told the gospel again and again. They might be rough 
because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They might be difficult because they haven't been saved yet. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Another soul enters the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. If you want to be a disciple, Jesus wants you to be a witness. It's not your job to get them saved. It's your job just to tell what you know. To tell why is it exciting to be a Christian. As I look at my life and I look at my family, you know, I have an uncle that uh, he grew up in a rich doctor's home. My grandfather was a doctor. And he never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he had a travel agency on Brand Boulevard. And he became an alcoholic and went off to Las Vegas and died a very early life. You know, as I think, I would have, I would have grown up in a rich doctor's home but for the grace of God I would have had all sorts of privileges I very likely might not have accepted Jesus as my savior and that would have been my story too but for the grace of God but for Jesus Christ being preached so that I knew him and he changed my life And yes, I've had lots of, all sorts of troubles. Tony had her stroke. But God has used that to lift us up. Trouble can lift us up. It can begin to show that what we have in Jesus Christ does make us different. As we trust in God, He helps us. He walks with us. He provides for us. He takes care of us. He is the reason that we are who we are today. And so I encourage you begin to examine your life. Is God in the center of your life and are you becoming a witness? Is God exciting in your life and if He's not, how come? Is He? If someone were to ask you Why are you excited about Jesus? What would you say? I hope you have the reason. And I hope you're telling other people around you. That's part of being a disciple. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your many blessings. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, each one, that we will be a witness for Jesus Christ. Help us each one that we will examine our life and that we will use our life for Christ. That we'll be willing to open our mouth and speak and be a witness. And Lord, I pray that you will change our world for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.